0: Welcome to the Dental CEO Podcast, where you'll learn how to buy, grow, and run your own dental practice. We'll be learning from practicing dentists as well as masters in the industry. And I'm your host, Dr. Cole Brenny, founder of practicingdentist.com and owner of Ivory Dental Group in Minneapolis. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to be interviewing Addison Killeen. He is a practicing dentist in Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, and today he's going to share with us his story, how he learned the business of dentistry and how learning and mastering the business of dentistry helped him to grow his practice into multiple practices. Um, he's a great guy and he's going to share with us his tips and stay tuned at the end. He's also going to disclose and give us some of his uh, KPI sheets and his um, his metrics so to help you uh, run your business efficiently. Thanks a lot. Here's Addison.
1: Uh, Yeah. So now we, uh, when I joined in 2012, um, it was just one practice and there was uh, three of us guys practicing out of seven rooms. And so they had had a doctor retire. He was not working very much, um, but he retired. And so they said, oh, we need to add another doctor. So, but they, they had known that they wanted to grow. So when I came on, I was the the third. And then 11 months later, we bought our uh, second practice. And then uh, pretty much every year after that, we've added a doctor and then um, a practice by, pretty much. By acquiring. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. We did the two, well, three acquisitions and one de novo.
2: Okay. Wow. And So, so how many locations yeah. do you have?
1: Uh, right now we have five, but we're acquiring our sixth uh, next month and then we're um, doing another de novo uh, before the end of the year. Actually, so we'll have seven by the end of the year. So, how
2: many partners are there?
1: Uh, Right now, there's um, us three main partners, and then we have a couple other uh, minor partners. Um, But we're hoping, you know, we're hoping to bring on other uh, the other associate dentists on as partners. Um, Probably the first of the year, we're going to do a a restructuring and add on the other doctors.
2: Oh wow, that's awesome! Well, hey man, how'd you you get into that? What's what's? I mean, it must be something you love because I know that's not for everybody who have multiple practices but how did you how did you get into it how did you love it
1: well it was kind of weird um when we were practicing you know seven rooms is not uh, enough for three guys so we were kind of packed in like sardines anyway working extended hours <clears throat> really having to balance that uh, uh the room load because yeah that's just not enough um And so uh, we had been approached by a practice salesman that said, hey, there's a guy 100 feet away from you that can't sell his practice. You know, nobody else is wanting to buy it. And he's just desperate to get out. And so we said, OK, well, yeah, let's look at it. And so we we looked at it and ended up, you know, any practice acquisition just takes a long time. So he had approached us in like March and we didn't uh, finalize the deal and, and transfer ownership until December 1st. And so um, basically it kind of fell at our feet, you know, we kind of knew that we wanted to grow, but that was pretty quick and, and perfect because then you, you kind of have two separate locations, so but you, yeah. We, you kept you know, a
2: separate location, you kept his location? Yeah, uh,
1: yep, yeah. so we kept, yeah, so then we had two offices, they're only 100 feet apart, but they had two separate staffs, separate, uh, pretty much everything, like separate office managers, um, and we still run it that way even today. Although, you know, sometimes if someone's sick or you know, you know, someone needs to take a lunch, you can send a staff member across the uh, across the street, basically across the parking lot, and you know, and they can uh, they can balance. So that was a, a gentle way to get into multiple practice ownership. Yeah. And then, um, and then as we as we had other associates, you know the. The hardest thing in multiple practices is really keeping a, uh, I mean, you have your, your great home base um, with a great culture and systems in place, and multiplying that into your new locations is really hard. And so we had, we had brought on, I had brought on an associate to help me out, and they ended up bringing on another associate to help them um, just balance the workload so that we're all not trying to kill each other and working five days a week. And so uh at that point then you know we felt like those associates then bought into the company culture and the systems and then uh I think it was the end of 2015 that we bought a practice and then we started a practice both virtually at the same time and so we jumped from 2 to 4 wow and so that was pretty crazy and uh probably you know not the wisest move and it uh put a lot of stress on us but uh then twelve months later, like summer of two thousand sixteen, then we um, bought our fifth location, and that was a retiring doctor who wanted to sell out as well. Gotcha. And so, in so,
2: these these purchases, did you merge any of them, or, or were they all um, kept separate?
1: Yeah, they're um, slightly separate, um, but we're all, we're all going to merge the ownership into one uh, later this year. One location um, or one name? Uh, w- uh, one uh, entity, okay. like legal entity, and so um, it'll make it easier for payroll and management and everything else. But they are they are still all separate, and the the doctors there. Um, you know, we uh, we don't tell our doctors how to practice. We just trust that if we hire good doctors they do the right thing right. and so, so do we don't really have to do too much management of them which is really nice
2: so for that for those standalone acquisitions like that I know it's important to kind of kind of pick the right practices right so how what, what, what do you look for what were you looking at in terms of size how big are those acquisitions
1: um the the, uh, the first one that we ever did back in 2012, um, that was a sizable one that was like a about 600000 purchase price, I think. Um, and then we purchased the real estate, uh, too, and that was about another 600000 I believe. Many, how many patients and revenue were they doing? Uh, revenue of about 880000 Okay. And so it was a little bit probably above markets uh, in terms of, I mean, we probably paid right at about market rate or maybe a little higher. Um, but he had a, a, total, a ton of room for growth um, in terms of just – he had a lot of patients but hadn't been doing a whole lot of work on them. Um, you know, as, as these dentists get older, they, they're tired. They don't really – they kind of push things off and say, well, we'll do a crown, but maybe in a couple of years. Um, and so when I walked in, it allowed me to, to really boom, and then that's what allowed me to add a second doctor. So I took it from 880 in collections to, uh, 1.6 in about, uh, three years, well, wow. two and a half to three years. So and that's adding an associate. And then, um, uh, and both of us working, uh, four to five days a week. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so that, uh, that was our first acquisition. Um, the other ones, um, one of them, the other acquisition we did in 15 was a, a smaller office about 360 in revenue. And, uh, and that's uh, another, I mean, that was a great situation as well, um, where the revenues are small. Um, his was a mostly cash pay. He wasn't in uh, with any insurance other than Delta Dental. Mm-hmm. And Delta, you know, has historically been pretty good to dentists. And so, uh, yeah, in that acquisition, that was a smaller uh, purchase price. So of revenues of three sixty, we paid 200000 I think, yeah. And so um, at $200,000, that was a a pretty good deal, Um, you know, especially with a cash pay um, patient base. Um, And you were able to keep that as a
2: standalone practice as well.
1: Yep. And we kept that That as in a different part of town. And so, yeah, that was perfect as well. Um, You were able
2: to grow the revenues because that's kind of borderline, right? I mean, 360, start looking at overhead numbers and efficiency, right? At, At 360, start to lose... I'm sure. If, if yeah. Revenue, that's you're in
1: trouble. Yeah. Your, uh, your fixed costs of running every day are really, yeah, you're running pretty thin there. And so, and that was the case as well where the doctor was a little bit closer to retirement. Um, he sits retired now. So it, uh, he worked for us for two years. Oh, so he did stay on. Um, yeah, so he did cool. stay on and that was a little bit tougher. Um, <laughs> but it did help because patients were extremely loyal to him and, um, uh, yeah, and that helps once we threw a new associate in there, kind of and did some more marketing um, and grow the grow the revenues of the practice. And now the revenues of that practice, I think are closer to five hundred thousand. Okay. And so uh, yeah so and then yeah once you get above three sixty you're kind of out of that uh, danger zone. because right. um, it you know, if you're running a small practice as a single doctor, revenues like three sixty means that you're, you're not really making uh, a whole lot on your your own doctor work. Right. Um, not enough for any guys, uh, young guys our ages, to uh, pay their student loans and you know start saving for retirement at all.
2: Yeah, that's that's interesting. Addison. since so you, so how did you? Here's a question that everybody listening probably wants to to know: Is how did you learn how to do this? I mean, how, what were the what were the places that you were able to to kind of because you'd made a lot of big big business moves in dentistry and kind of must understand how to run a practice really well to make, to make it efficient and make money and not run around like a chicken with <laughs> your head cut off. Right. Cause that's the risk is sometimes we work super hard for, for not a lot of money. Um, and that's not the way we want to practice. So what did you do and what did you learn? What, you know, what did you see as really important to doing this? Well,
1: yeah, well, I, uh, the biggest thing is watching the numbers. Um, Basically watching our overhead Um, back when I was a teenager uh, here in town, there's a great restaurant called Laszlo's um, that if you ever come to a Husker game in Lincoln, Laszlo's is the place to go. Just a good family restaurant. Um, And uh, I worked for the um, in the restaurants for a few years and then the CEO eventually brought me up and I uh, started doing some internal bookkeeping. And they uh, they owned uh, a few different subsidiaries. Um, the restaurants were kind of a side business to just have fun with. And so uh, by doing his numbers on a restaurant, it taught me that overhead control is super key. Um, you know, in a restaurant, you're really lucky to make 4% uh, return on your investment. And so, I mean, if you screw up 1% or 2% in a few different categories – you're losing money. And that's why in the restaurant business, uh, I think 80% of restaurants uh, fail within the first five years. And so um, it's just a really high failure rate because the margins are so thin. And a lot of people don't know how to control those margins. Kind of like when you you go into any restaurant, if they have a special for the day, they probably got a food uh, discount on something and they were able to work it in, and basically that special probably has a higher profit margin because of lower food costs. Well, in dentistry, we're super lucky because we have great margins as long as we can control them effectively. Um, I mean, in our practices, we try to be super thin on the things that we can be uh, really stingy about. Mostly, you know, uh, dental supplies. I, I, try to be really, uh, slim on those. So, uh, I know in some, some cases out there, they say 6% should be your, your target. Um, I try to always shoot for 4%. Um, 4% is really tough to get, you know, that means you can't be getting name brand on all your supplies. Um, a lot of it's, uh, off brands or generic, you know, generic Henry Shine brand or, um, you know, net 32 is a service we like to use. Um, I actually, uh, just talked with, uh, Tiger Savarov, uh, the other day, and I think we're going to start trying out Zen supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited about that, um, because he's got some even better deals than a lot of us can find, um, every day. So I'm excited to try out that. And, um, I'll have to let you know how that goes. Yeah, keep me um, posted.
2: I've heard of net 32, But, yeah, Tiger, I've been hearing his name a lot lately.
1: Yeah, his (laughs) software. I mean, I I tell you, over the past, like, two years, I have a great dental assistant, and um, she spends a lot of time on a spreadsheet going through every supply that we order, like every line item of this is a gauze, this is a cotton roll, micro brushes, every different type of composite that we use in every practice. And so every practice has, like, a... 450 item order sheet that they could order off of and whenever they want to order something they send it um, into her and she orders it but before she orders it she just price checks make sure you know okay we're still getting this for the lowest price well i think this new zen supply software does exactly what she's been doing but it's all just automated and it'll actually keep track of your orders um, in terms of shipping and uh, verifying that you actually got what you ordered and so it's going to save me tons of time. Um, well, save her tons of time, but also for the nominal amount that you pay for it, I think it'll, it'll be a really good uh, return on, on the investment. So the dental supplies, I mean, 4% is, is tough to hit, but that's, um, that's one thing. Um, lab fees, I, I try to keep it at 6%. Um, that's really tough. Uh, you know, you can always choose some cheaper labs, but you never want to you never want to potentially have a lab be using zirconia from China that maybe doesn't quite hold up the best under pressure. You know, you know, you never want to to make a clinical quality there. Yeah. And so I still use a nice lab and, and I'm I'm usually able to hit about six to six and a half percent. Um, Part of that is with seven offices, we get a little bit better deals. Um, But uh, I do like using a local lab where I trust where they buy their materials and everything. Um, and then advertising, we are lucky enough, uh, we don't have to do a a whole ton of advertising. So for us, um, we're under 1%. Um, and that's, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend that if you're, uh, starting out or if you could use a lot more patients, but, um, the cheapest advertising is really just asking every day, asking all your patients for referrals. Um, just saying, Hey, you know, if you have any friends or family that are looking for a dentist, uh, send them our way. Right. You know, that's that's free. It takes five seconds, and uh, you know, if, if you say it with a smile on your face, usually they do it. And so that's one of the the numbers that we track is how many patients do we get from other family or friends referrals.
2: That's awesome. Man. So what about uh, what about staff overhead? What do you think? What's your opinion about that?
1: Yeah, that's that's super the biggest, tough.
2: The biggest one, the biggest, the biggest
1: chunk <laughs> yeah, of
2: your overhead.
1: Yeah, you know we've, uh, I mean we've been running thirty five to forty percent sometimes um, on our on our more legacy practices. Um, you know these these new startups when a corporate comes into town they try to manage their overhead in staffing, you know hygiene, assistants and front office. Uh, they try to manage that whole category to be 20%, right. which is just crazy low. And and you know what? I, it, I'm sure all of us sitting out there listening to this have had it where maybe we've worked with an assistant that isn't quite as friendly or a, a hygienist that isn't quite on top of their game. And it it's really frustrating. It makes a horrible day for us to work um, and try to and if we feel that we're not giving the best level of care to our patients then it just drives us crazy so i'm okay paying higher you know if it's um if it's 30 to 35 percent you know that you know that it's it's a little rough but that's doable um if you're a slightly lower producing practice at least in the beginning you know your percentage might be higher but then as you get uh better staff and better systems in place, that percentage can drop just by increasing production. Right. And uh, maybe, you know, you learn Invisalign or Six months miles or something like that.
2: Yeah, interesting. So what is your total number then that you're hitting, though? Total overhead number?
1: I try to be 60. Uh, and then if, if we're really rocking, down to 55. Gotcha. Okay. So...
2: That's awesome. Um, And like you said, if you grow your overhead or grow your, your production numbers, your collection numbers, your overhead goes down, right? I mean, you make that number bigger.
1: Yeah. And then, and then you can still, I mean, one of the best things, you know, all these uh, psychology studies out there show that employees, you know, they might value a raise, but you know, you take them out to dinner or you just say, Hey, we're going to go get coffee at Starbucks this morning, you know, and they that makes them happy. And, you know they feel valued, and so, I mean, the biggest reason that someone's going to stick with you for a long time and uh, and want to do better is is probably non monetary. So, Culture. you know, giving yeah, giving little bonuses here and there is is pretty awesome. Um, just saying like, hey, you know, I think you're you're doing a great job. I'm just going to give you a hundred dollar gift card to Amazon or something, and uh, you know that can uh, that can help a lot of morale and just. If they put in some long days or, you know, if your front office lady has had a horrible day dealing with insurance, you know, you just say, Hey, you know, I, I know it's been a rough one. So, right. you know, here's a gift card.
2: So you don't do like a staff, a whole staff bonus system, right? Is that what you're
1: saying? No, yeah, we don't do that right now. And, uh, you there's know, a lot, I, of
2: debate. There's a lot of debate. You know, I've, I've talked to people that are really intense one way and really intense the other way. Um, And so I don't know if there's a right answer,
1: right? Yeah, that's that's totally true. I'm not sure about that because, you know, um, and you'd have to base any bonuses if you did do a, you'd have to base it on the overall profitability of the practice, you know. You don't want to give a bonus based on um, something where it might cause you to lose money, um, right, right. you know, just saying, Hey, we get 30 new patients in the door. I'm going to give you guys all a hundred or 200 bucks. Right. Um, that could, that could <laughs> take it out of your paycheck really quick.
2: Right. Pay yourself so, first and then, yeah, and then
1: have a exactly.
2: For, for reward. Yeah. It's, it's interesting cause I know some people are really intense about it and you know, at our, at our practice we do just what you said too. I mean, finding and hiring great people is kind of, the first hurdle right like you got to get be good at doing that because mm-hmm. if you're not you can't with all the bonus money you pay you can't make a bad employee into a good employee yeah um, so I'm with you that's interesting I mean so you got some some cool stuff going on I mean you so see you got into the numbers you learn the business um, what other advice do you have for for a new dentist just about to start a practice how would they get in um, what mistakes could they avoid you oh made. yeah,
1: <laughs> it's a big. i uh, I've, I've made a lot of them. Uh, you know, yeah, we've we've learned a lot over the past five years. Uh, just growing from, it's easy when everything's under your um, under your thumb. If you're in the practice every day working, um, it can still be super stressful. You know, the uh, the biggest thing taking over. You know, if you're taking over a retiring doctor, there's a ton of stress um, with just meeting a new patient every day. Right. You know, every you have to be on the ball. Um, eight times a day with your hygienist or, or, or 16 or, you know, more, you have to be just super, super happy to meet all these patients. But it's really tough because sometimes the retiring doctor didn't have the same treatment philosophy as you did, um, or they just, you know, they used a bunch of pin retained amalgams and they're all, you know, cracking the roots now. And it's really tough because you got to walk a fine line between saying, you know, that you really respected the selling doctor but yet, you know, it's unfortunate, but now this person's going to need a crown or uh, scaling and root planing. Right. And so really, I mean, investing a lot in the staff, um, you know, bringing on, um, sometimes bringing on a consultant or even doing the kind of the teleconsulting type thing with uh, we've we've started testing out uh, front office rocks. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's a great system to help uh, reduce some of those just um, office functionality issues, like you know, reducing your no-show cancel rate. Um, you know, they—that's uh, one thing that we we watch. Um, one of the biggest things uh, I would say is, um, and I've I've found this with my staff is engaging them in the numbers. Not as much the profitability of the practice, but some of the other uh, indicators like. Um, you know, like our no-show cancel rate, or how many days till the next new patient uh, opening in hygiene, um, or how many days until the next scaling and root planing uh, appointment in hygiene. Um, Some of those numbers, um, after we watch them for a while, and uh, if I set a target for them, the staff starts coming up with ways to hit them. Um, You know, the no-show cancel rate, you just hate when when a patient, you know, you're expecting to get an hour with a patient and they just don't show up. And so you're paying your hygienist to sit there. Right. You know, it's it's so painful. Right. And so, um, yeah, like when when uh, we started tracking that number um, in my location only, we started to we saw it, it was like eight and a half to nine and a half percent some weeks. And so we just started saying, hey, what do, you, what do we think we could do to do to do this? And the staff took ownership of it. It was really great. We didn't. I didn't have to pay any bonuses or any other things. But they just started coming up with ideas like, "Hey, let's let's do front office rocks to see if we can change our wording to help reduce no shows." And then they started sending out emails the morning of um, that didn't ask for a response or anything. It just said, "Hey, we're looking forward to seeing you later today at one o'clock. Uh, see you then." And um, you know, in in today's busy world, people. You know, they get a little ding on their email at eight o'clock. If they're already at work, then they say, oh, yeah, I do have that dental appointment today. Right. And so we've dropped that percentage by about two percent. And, you know, I don't totally know how much that impacts our bottom line, but I know it helps a ton. Yeah, you know, two sure. percent over a thousand or a couple thousand appointments um, can help a lot. Well, if you think about and so, it, right, well,
2: the revenue lost in that one appointment times 12 uh, months, right?
1: yeah it's so some some of those leading indicators um you know i I always i like to keep it so that if a new patient calls we could get them in within seven days and so um if you're getting a steady new patient flow i mean a, a lot of us younger doctors are eager to work hard and develop our patient base you know if we're getting a lot of new patients sometimes that does mean that our um our hygienists start getting booked out further and further and so then we need to add, you know, another four hours here, or, you know, or an, a full eight hour day sometimes. And so keeping that number down too helps because um, if a new patient calls, like I've, I've started to see if we book them out too far um, and we don't build enough value over the phone at the initial phone call, then they just don't show up because they've probably found somewhere else to go. Right. And so that's, it's always good to get them in the door as quick as possible to try to develop that relationship uh, quickly. If it's on the top of their mind, then, you know, they want to get in quick.
2: Right. Yep. Yep. I love that. That's great advice. Um, Well, Addison, I love it. Thank you for the tips. It's awesome. Um, I'll let you get to work and I know your kids are up, but um, maybe uh, when I put this together and post it, if you wouldn't mind sharing, um, I know you're on the the Facebook mastermind group. So um, just maybe uh, if you're willing, share some of your numbers or what you look at and and maybe oh, totally. be, a, be a, a great resource for uh, for the rest of the crew.
0: All right, everyone. That concludes our interview with Dr. Addison Colleen from Lincoln, Nebraska. And stay tuned for more Practicing Dentists and Dental CEO podcasts where I teach dentists to grow, buy, and build practices that they love. If anyone out there is interested in, in talking or needs help, um, shoot me an email at at com. Thanks a lot.